0: Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Joining you for the first time in a couple of weeks is me, Mark Hamilton, joined as always by my co-host, my colleague, my almost friend, (laughs) Mr. Mark Daly. Combined, we are Mark Squared, and we are days away from one of the most anticipated Formula One Grand Prix, possibly in history, after 10 months 21 races, 19 countries. The F1 title is coming down to the season finale In Abu Dhabi, it's down to Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton. For the first time since 2016, we are going down to the final race of the season. And for the first time since 1974, a championship I will not even pretend to know anything about. For the first time since (laughs) 1974, we are all even on points going into the finale. My friend, we're days away, possibly hours away from the first practice session. How are you?
1: I'm doing good and a a rare... um... Wednesday night. I can't remember the last time we sat down to do this like midweek, but it's just how the schedule kind of turned out this uh, you know for us this week. And it's kind of cool to actually do it. I mean, my my tomorrow night, my Thursdays gonna be crazy busy anyways, but it's kind of cool because you know, I've been really stoked to talk about this <laughs> as soon as possible with you. So this is actually, I think, a bit of a blessing in disguise.
0: Yeah, and it's a bit. It's my fault that we're recording on a Wednesday, so for those of you that don't know, and I think most people probably do understand, we typically record late in the night on Thursday, and we drop the recording sometime early Friday morning Eastern Standard Time, so most people listen to us Friday morning. It's part of their Friday routine. We do it every week. This week's a little bit different, and... I feel like I owe everybody, maybe not an explanation, but I think it's good and it's healthy to talk about some of the personal things I've been through the last couple of weeks. So as everybody knows, because I've been talking about it for six, six months now, my wife, my son and I packed up and we left for the United Arab Emirates three or four weeks ago. Shortly before we left, I discovered because my wife brought it to my attention that some of my medication is effectively a controlled substance in the country that we were visiting. And that doesn't mean I can't take it or couldn't take it. It just means that I needed to produce a ton of documentation to be able to safely bring it into the country. On short notice, this was going to be challenging. And I basically just came to the conclusion that, you know what, I'm probably going to be okay. I'm going to be fine. It's not a big deal. I've been really great this year. I had a fantastic summer. I was out and about and I was doing a bunch of stuff that in the past could have proved problematic. We left, first couple of days were great. By the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh day, I effectively went into withdrawal and I started struggling and having symptoms due to the lack of medication. Uh, About a week and a half in, my wife very kindly packaged me up sent me home. I spent the next week recovering at home with my parents supervising, which is a little bit embarrassing, but (laughs) bless them both for coming over from Vancouver Island and spending the week with me. But having my parents sit on the sofa with their iPads, scrolling through Facebook to keep me company. But I spent the better part of the next week at home recovering and getting back up to speed on my medication. And as I learned shortly after returning home, the medication that I take is fairly strong and it's not okay to simply turn it off. And when I did, my body basically went into withdrawal, my brain specifically, because this is medication, full disclosure, that I take for some mental health symptoms or uh, a mental health disease that that I've struggled with for much of my life. And I think in the off-season, we really want to kind of venture more into the space of mental health, specifically in the world of Formula One. And Mm -hmm. I feel good talking about this. But effectively, it was an unforced error. It was an expensive mistake. And it's something that I've had to learn from. So it was really only in the days after I returned and I started feeling a little bit better that I began to realize that, the Formula One Grand Prix that we've been talking about all year, I wasn't going to be attending. So I encouraged my wife, you know what? You're still there. So she stayed behind because she was there to see family. And it's the first time she'd seen a lot of her family in more than a decade. So she stayed back. We kept her there. Her family came to see her. She got to have a fantastic week with her family. I encouraged her to stay, go to the Grand Prix, you've got the tickets, now you can take our son. But I think she was eager to get back home, come back to see me. So she's currently, as we speak right now on a flight from the United Arab Emirates into London, she has a long layover and she's gonna fly back home tomorrow. Hmm. Um, but we ended up selling those tickets. So it dawned upon me last week what I, what I had compromised. But at the end of the day, it was completely my fault. And I've come to better understand the impact of the medication, both the value that it provides when, when I take it, but also the impact of what happens to me and my my brain chemistry when i suddenly switch off so it was a a valuable lesson and that's that's where we are today so my wife's going to be flying in tomorrow super excited to see her again the good news is we're going to be able to spend christmas at home i'm feeling a lot better um and we also get to sit at home and watch the uh the grand prix on sunday and record what will probably be one of the highest rated podcasts fingers crossed that we've ever done given the (laughs) amount of attention this is getting so that's kind of sums up my last couple of weeks so for you, my friend, I cannot thank you enough for stepping up and running with the ball without me here. I know you're very good. You've done that many times in the past. But on short notice, being able to put together a couple of podcasts is a ton of work. The feedback that I got was fantastic. So thank you oh, for uh, for for taking it in my absence.
1: Well, it was the least I could do, and I'm glad that you're home. I'm glad that you're doing better, glad that uh, that your family is on the way back. So slowly but surely, everything's working out, and it's, yeah. uh, you know, I, I mean, it's crazy to think after all those weeks and months and races, like you say, it, it's all coming down to this a, a one-race shootout between Lewis and Max. And, um, I was thinking about it last night. I, I was so jacked up. I, I couldn't get to, I could get to sleep. I was still awake at like two thirty in the morning. <laughs> and I, I guarantee you that there's somebody out there, probably many people listening to this podcast right now that are saying the same things like, dude, this has been me like all week, you know, I, either because I'm cheering for Lewis or I'm cheering for Max and all these uh, <laughs> different things. But,
0: I, I, uh, I want to be honest about something else too. So last weekend, I was still really sick, and mm-hmm. I wasn't able to commit to the Grand Prix. I tried to watch it. I woke up somewhere around lap 42. I was completely, completely nauseous. I didn't understand what was happening. So I only now went back and revisited the Grand Prix, and I've spent the better part of the last couple of days processing and digesting all the <laughs> podcasts and the race reaction. Holy moly, I I, st- I still don't know what to think of what happened, but... I know we're going to get there in a couple of minutes. I can't wait to hear what your race reaction is because oh, you man, reacted yeah. in real time. You did this podcast. You joined Tim on the TSN Racing Pod, but you've also had a couple of days to process this now. I'm still processing hey, that race because I'm in I've the same only place. just witnessed it.
1: I'm in the same place because it was crazy. And w- when I sat down to do the, the TSN Racing Pod with Tim, he had pages and pages of notes. And then... <laughs> I had some notes for when I was going to do our show, like later on in the evening, I ended up adding more to it. I, and I apologize to Tim because I'm sure I messed up a bunch of things <laughs> because just getting out of sequence, but it was just so crazy. It's just like, and then you, you just, I basically had to write it out in chronological order. This happened on this lap, this yep. happened on this lap, then this happened and then this happened and that happened and, and all these different things. And at the end of uh, at the end of it, it was crazy. It was just like when 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 Tim and I hopped online together. I think the first words out of my are both our mouths at exactly the same time was, "Dude, what the bleep was that?" <laughs> <And> <laughs> oh was, my gosh! It was, it was it was it was just crazy, right? I mean, it was. It was just, uh, I mean, number one, the circuit was just insane itself. I think as uh, the, the drivers have been calling it to Suzuka with concrete walls. And I think that's a, like a great way to describe it because, <laughs> I mean, it, it was just, you know, it's a great track. But, I mean, it obviously needs some tweaks because it, there was a lot of, lot of things going on that could have been avoided. I mean, as I, as, as I said on this show, as I said on Tim's show, that you know Saudi Arabia is a big country there's lots of wide open spaces that they could put a track i mean the the venue where it is on uh, the jeddah corniche you know the, this jeddah corniche circuit i mean is it's it's stunning right i mean the location is stunning but the track confined within those concrete barriers and those chain link fencing is just it, it it's not really the the right formula for the for, for the track and i mean it led to a lot of carnage right
0: I want to put a pin in this because I know we've got some really good sure. speaking points about Jetta in in our points to come, but I think before we get there, a couple of things that I did want to hit on real quick just while we're kind of doing our introductory kind of preamble before the meat of the show, the news of the show. I wanted to give a shout out to a bunch of our listeners last week. So as I was recovering, I began to see in our Twitter feed a ton of our listeners, specifically our Spotify listeners, who had gotten their 2021 wrapped feedback or wrapped results started posting mm-hmm. all these cool I, and i don't even know what to call it but I, I guess if you're a spotify subscriber they come back to you in december and they share with you your most listened to songs and the minutes of music you've consumed and the podcast you've consumed the most but i was taken aback at how many people had shared that we were either their top most consumed podcast, or we were within their top three, their top five. So two, and awesome. I, I've made some notes here because it really did make me feel a lot better last week. So to Michael Stewart, Gil, Alex Lehman, Junie Z, Steve Williams, Javier Ramos, ha Allo, RB McDonald, Diego R, Kieran Goodwin, Elliot Norlin, Jonathan, Endeavor, Nancy Flores, Luke Boyce, Evan Tinkler, Charlie, Whitney, Julie, Stephen, Patrick, Stephen R., tim t and so many more thank you for coming and sharing that on twitter that really warmed my heart thanks guys and it felt really really good it also makes me uh better understand the mix of our listeners that are probably apple users versus android users but i've never asked you are you an apple user or are you an android user
1: no i'm i'm an apple user i'm an apple guy i mean all my my personal devices are are apple I'm, for for work purposes, I'm confined and chained to a Windows based uh, system, but you know that is what it is. Uh, I guess that's okay. But uh, you know, my, my, my tablet is iPad, iPhone, Air- AirPods, all that. Uh, you know, we're, we're 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 an Apple family. But you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I was shocked when I saw those Spotify numbers because you know from the creator point of view I never go and look at those stats and when I saw the stats yeah. and I shared them with you I was absolutely floored I mean they there was just as big as if not bigger than the, uh, the than the Apple users so I I mean it was um, it was it was a christmas present come uh, come early and uh, once again I mean on uh, you know from on behalf of both of us I mean thank you guys for all the amazing support that was just uh, that was outstanding that really made my it made my week
0: and for those of you that don't know Every time we get a nice comment, whether it's in the DMs, whether it's in a podcast review, whether it's on Twitter, um, I always screenshot it. I send it to Mark via WhatsApp or vice versa. So we don't take for granted anybody who supports the show, listens to the show, gives us a nice comment. My friend, are you a Spotify music listener or an Apple music listener? Apple music. Okay. So I'm going to read to you right now, just because some people have asked for it. I'm going to read because... Apple doesn't have that cool, I guess, wrapped function, but mm-hmm. you can go and pull up a list of your top listened to music. So I think this is good because people will learn a lot more about me, but here are my top most listened-to songs in 2021. What's Next by Drake, Way Too Sexy by Drake, Rap by Megan <laughs> Thee Stallion and Cardi B, Levitating by DaBaby and Dua Lipa, Up by Cardi B, Industry Baby by Lil Nas X and Jack Harlow, What's Poppin' Remix by Jack Harlow, Vibes by DaBaby, N-Word in Paris, Jay-Z and Kanye West, Franchise by Travis Scott, Win by J-Rock, Switch Up by Big Sean, Popstar by DJ Khaled, D4L by Future Drake and Young Thun, Skepta Interlude by Drake, F the Summer Up by King Combs, Bop by DaBaby, Jump Mine by Drake and Future, Only You Freestyle by Hedy One and Drake, and Kojai by Toei, which is a Persian pop song. So if anyone was interested, that's what I've been listening to this year. We're not listening to our own podcast.
1: There you go. <laughs> that's awesome. Hey, what do you want to do now? Um, I know that we were going to do our race weekend uh, giveaway finally. Yeah. Do, you want to, do you want to do that now or do you want to do that on the other side of the break? Let, let's do it now. Let's do it. You
0: want to do it right now? Perfect. Sure, why okay. not? So the last time we did a contest draw, it was very anticlimactic because I couldn't get the screen sh- sharing feature to work. I still can't get it to work, but I do have it ready to go. I have everything teed up in my system. So okay. I don't know if you have access to the magical soundboard, but if you could bring up the drum roll.
1: Drum roll. I can certainly do that.
0: That would be fantastic. Fantastic. And we have a winner, Mr. Brian Banducci. Congratulations, you are the Race Weekend Contest winner. You have won yourself a one-year subscription for issues of the Race Weekend Magazine. I will be reaching out to you tonight or tomorrow to get your address and your details. Congratulations! This is fantastic, and to the team at the race weekend, Magnus and the entire crew. Thank you so much for providing that subscription to our listeners. It was something that we were very, very, very excited to give away.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's cool. All right. Well, uh, congratulations. Uh, I'm a little bit jealous. I wanted one of those as well, but uh, <laughs> maybe I'll win next time. But I guess the, the the listeners they're too smart to let me get away with anything uh, like that. All right, uh, well, let's take a, a quick break. a ton of stuff to talk about uh, tonight, obviously. So let's, uh, let's just pause here momentarily from a quick uh, word from our sponsors and we'll be back in just a moment. So don't go away. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive All right. Well, welcome back to the podcast. It is up to speed with Formula One. And we're, we're up and running. We're, we're out of the the starting blocks. We've made a pass start finish for the form. We've got the formation lap uh, behind us now. Although I think you wanted to tease a couple of things. You still had a couple of uh, pieces of housekeeping that you wanted to get, uh, get through before. Not really housekeeping. That makes it sound like a chore. And it, the things that we've been doing and things that we got coming up are anything but, right?
0: If, if it was up to me, this podcast would never even get to the starting grid. It would be a two-hour formation. Like, <laughs> I like the preamble. I like to tease. But I did want to remind everybody that even though the season is rapidly coming to a close, we're obviously going to conclude the championship on Sunday. We'll wrap up the season with the podcast on this coming Sunday. A lot of you are are obviously new to Formula One. You're new to this podcast. And one of the questions that we've got a lot is, hey, do you continue to post episodes during the winter? And the simple answer to that is absolutely. We continue to post fresh content every week throughout the offseason and to be totally honest some of the best stuff that we do is during the offseason because we can be a little bit creative we can reflect on the championship we can do all kinds of stuff that are forward looking but I did want to tease a couple of things that we're really excited about doing during the offseason the first one is that we're going to be collaborating with the athletics Jordan Bianchi to do a really fun NASCAR show probably not in December but probably in early January both you and I are NASCAR rookie so we're looking yep. forward to that Steph Wentworth, who I've previously collaborated with on podcasts and is now working with Formula One and was trackside doing reporting at Brazil and Qatar and Saudi, she's going to be joining us as well. Mac Clark, the up-and-coming Formula Four U.S. Championship superstar, is going to be joining us somewhere around December twentieth. Something that we're incredibly excited about. And then finally, we're also working on getting Jordan. Oravitz on the show. He has recently published a fantastic book called indie Split which details very 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 beautifully the breakdown in the CART IRL IRL relationship and how IndyCar fell apart in the 90s and then came back together in the late 2000s. So we have tons of fantastic content. There's a few other specials we're going to do in there as well, but we're kind of putting the details on those, putting a bow on those before we announce them. But just to reinforce for everybody, The championship may end this coming weekend, but this show absolutely goes right through the winter break.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Spaces are back. We didn't do one tonight, but uh, we'll- we'll, Oh, yeah, great call. Yeah.
0: Yeah, great call. So we did an impromptu Spaces chat yesterday with Tim Haraney. We did a really great Q&A session. It was one of the best attended events we've done. We've been off the charts the last couple of weeks. I was traveling. I wasn't feeling so great. Our commitment is that we're going to get our Thursday Spaces chat back up next Thursday. So typically we run those around 5.30 to 6.30, go for an hour, go for two hours, depending on the vibe, how the group's doing. But we will commit to doing those throughout the winter break as well. But yeah, great call out, my friend.
1: Cool. Yeah, that was fun. I didn't get a chance to jump on the one last night with Tim and I regretted it, but uh, had plenty of things uh, going on. But hey, should we talk about, uh, actually, Talk about the One right now. I mean, I th- think we like probably should. A billion things that we want to talk about. So let let's go back because you already deflated. You, you popped my bubble here a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I would say pop. <laughs> but you Jetta deflated bubble? <laughs> my Jetta bubble.
0: I saw the look on your face. By the way, <laughs> I'm like, we're gonna put a pin in this.
1: Well, you know, I was already said to, to set uh, get going on that one, but you know, we'd still be talking about it if uh, <laughs> you did. Uh, okay, direct go. Me back, go. Uh, go. So. Anyways, you uh, have watched a little bit more recently than me. I mean, um, I have the benefit now. Well, I don't know if it's actually a benefit, but I have the uh, I've distance now between the race on Sunday afternoon and, uh, and today, the Wednesday night. Um, but you've watched a little bit more recently. So what was your impression of the track? And then after that, we can try maybe together to try and get through what it was that we actually saw over the course of those 50 laps.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really, really, really great question. And I was obviously very excited about this event going in. I think we've seen the debut of a number of new tracks over the course of the last couple of years and For the most part, they've been pretty successful. I think I was probably a a little bit too optimistic about this one. I think I was sold on the length. I think I was sold on the average speed. I think I was sold on the setting to your earlier point set on the Cornish and Jetta right on the, the Red Sea. There were a lot of reasons to be excited and it looks really great from an aerial view. I think what became clear to me very, very quickly is it's a very dangerous track let's be very clear, it's a very, very dangerous track. And I I understand that they have the latest technology in terms of crash impact and crash absorption on the side of Mm -hmm. the tracks, but it's not a safe track. There's little to no runoff. And I think one of the comments that really resonated with me in the days that followed the Grand Prix was that drivers continued to make this comment that, hey, look, you know what, there's a lot of really, really, really soft turns, a lot of soft curves, and their point was, These should just be straights because we're going flat out regardless of whether there's a curve or whether it's a straight. But because there's a curve, it creates major visibility issues because we don't know what's happening ahead. And if there's a crash, if there's a collision, it really reduces our ability to react to it. So I think, and you touched on this a little bit earlier, there was a lot of feedback from the drivers and Michael Massey and I think some of the team principals were far less far less conservative and we're maybe a little bit more generous about the long term outlook of this track without significant modifications and changes. But I think I can't imagine that we go back to Jeddah next year without multiple safety cars and potentially without multiple restarts that what we saw, I don't think was an anomaly, but without major changes to this track could possibly be the norm. And do we want to be going to a Grand Prix year after year where we know there could potentially be two or three restarts? And maybe this year was an anomaly in the sense that, hey, there were only two restarts and that there were only X number of safety cars. Maybe next year it's worse. But all of that said, we all... Also know that Jeddah is really just an interim event until they can complete the track in Kedia outside of Riyadh, which I think will be the long term home of Formula One mm-hmm. in Saudi Arabia. But my my sense is I think I was sold on the sexiness of the track, the the distance, the average speed, it looks great on TV, they brought it together so quickly and I don't doubt that it's a world-class venue. I just don't love the layout and I don't think it's necessarily going to be conducive to great racing and I'm still not convinced that this was a great Grand Prix. I don't know if it was a farce, but it certainly wasn't fantastic and I don't think it was I don't think it was incumbent upon promoting a great championship. So I'd love to know your feedback because you process it Sunday. You've had a couple of days. Was this a good track? Should it be modified? Does it seem overtly dangerous to you?
1: Uh, In in short, yes. Uh, I I think that, you know, well, I mean, maybe we take the comments of Fernando aside because, I mean, Fernando can be quite... Blunt in uh, some of the things that he says, but I, I thought it was, I-, I maybe dial back his comments a, a little bit because after that uh, coming together, that weird one between Raikkonen and Sebastian, which kind of just looked like Kimi, I think he was pushing it a little bit and then he just realized he had nowhere to go and then just got tangled up with Seb and basically just got pulled along for the ride and then there's just bits of carbon fiber bodywork just flying all over the place and then Nando gets on the uh, on the net afterwards and he's like well you know the the tracks now is worse as we've seen it all weekend then they're expecting us to to drive 300 kph around here so I mean read between the lines he's just saying it's dangerous as f you know right so I mean it's I I mean he's right I mean it was really really dangerous I mean especially when there are no runoffs. I mean uh, you know the the only kind of uh, areas that aren't concrete wall are some of these little infield areas that you see, like, at the end of start, finish into turns one and two, which, you know, obviously were very prominent in the the, the controversial happenings that afternoon, but... It is interesting too because when you hear some of the uh, the, the the comments, uh, especially from Michael Massey, the race uh, director, saying that uh, basically he figures that some minor tweaks could be made, and you know that that's all that the track really needs. I mean, I'm not a designer, I'm not an engineer that designs these kind of tracks, but to kind of brush it off as something that simple seems like too bit of a convenient and an easy answer. I'd have to see. You know, I, I'd like to hear some sort of proposal before my skeptical nature is maybe um, is is, is um, <laughs> I don't know pacified. But it is funny the the, the race itself most of the messages I got in real time were I think one of the messages I think I got from Zach was this is the kind of race that just really pisses people off. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. Yeah. And, uh, it, I I think, you know, I mean, there, there is truth in the bluntness there. Right. And, um, it it was, I mean, there was, I mean, aside from all the, the the different drama going on, just the the, the fact that there were virtual safety cars and safety cars, it just really ruined the flow of the Grand Prix. I mean. I mean a virtual safety car okay they decrease their their, their delta by what was it 40 percent or whatever it is so it's not like getting behind the the out and out you know real safety car and going a lot slower or having the session red flag but it was just far too disruptive because I mean in normal circumstances a little bit of bodywork comes off of a car most of the time it, it flies off and it's in the grass it's in the gravel it's in the sand it's no big deal but here in Jeddah, I mean, where's it going to go? It's going to bounce off another car. It's going to bounce off of the wall. And it's, and, and, you know, there's, like I say, I mean, three quarters of the way around, it's just concrete. So it's just going to bounce right back. And, you know, somebody's going to pick that up in a tire and, uh, you know, you have a tire blow in a situation like that. I mean, it's dangerous. I mean, we had this conversation at length after um, Baku and those tire blowouts that we saw those big shunts from Max and, and Lance, right? So Fortunately, we didn't see anything like that because when I saw a mix accident right at the very beginning there, but what was it, lap 15 or 16 or no, it was was earlier than that. I can't remember. I've got my notes here. I'm sorry, it was lap 10. It was actually his lap 16, I think, is when they actually red flagged it. But yeah, when I saw his car there and the rear end hanging off, and I mean, it wasn't really a slow motion accident, but um, I think he hit those barriers. I mean, he obviously hit it uh, a lot harder than, than it kind of looked, even though it looked like a, a bit of a slow motion accident just by the amount of damage that was uh, incurred upon that car.
0: You know, you make a really great point when you, you spoke about Michael Massey and his reaction to this track, we've we've obviously heard a lot of, I don't want to call it reactionary feedback from the drivers because they were the ones out there experiencing this and they were the ones seeing their their peers collide with the walls and come together. They they obviously experienced the track and probably felt <clears> the, the danger and the risk that they were taking when they're out there. But I think the, the commentary from Michael Massey after the race to me seemed a little bit almost dismissive. So he was asked specifically about whether the track needed to see any modification or change. And, and he quotes, and, and I and I quote here, I think here in Saudi Arabia, they've done a brilliant job of putting this amazing facility together in a short time frame, which is a credit to everyone involved. He said, mm-hmm. there is some fine tuning that will happen across the board. There were some teething issues being a brand new event, brand new facility on the whole of things. There'll be some fine tuning, but nothing in a major way that I envisage here and now. And furthermore, most of the team bosses and team principals refuse to criticize the track at all, and obviously financially, they're incented to to promote and speak well of the tracks that they visit. But I would just expect that somebody like Michael Massey would be much, much, much more receptive of the feedback from the drivers. That if the drivers are coming out and they're outwardly admitting that this track feels dangerous to them, mm-hmm. I think you need to listen to them. And furthermore, this was a track that only became FIA, or FIA sanctioned effectively in the hours before the race. Was run and let's not forget the crash that happened in the F two race. That race ultimately went, I think, a total of five laps, was stopped multiple times, and we saw a young driver in the hospital. There's yeah. nothing to say that couldn't happen in the Formula One race, and that's not something anybody wants to see.
1: Yeah, exactly right. I mean, the the thing is, we know that the dr- these drivers do risk life and limb every time they strap themselves into one of these cars. I mean, Spa unfortunately has been a, you know a stark reminder of that. I mean, we 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 were lucky this. This year that uh, out of all the horrendous crashes we saw, I mean, the the worst was just bumps and bruises, right? And I mean, ev- even just in the last uh, couple of years, I mean, we've seen a, a fatal accident there in in Formula Two. And the the thing is, I mean, I, I'm not a fan of like gladiator sports. I mean, if they rebuild the Coliseum and they have the blood sports, I'm not going to be up for that. So, I mean, I don't need to see the sim like the, the 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 equivalent of Formula One. Yes, it's still dangerous, but let's not make it any more dangerous than it than, than it needs to be. I mean, I'm a, I'll admit that uh, I was not a fan of when the, uh, the the halo was introduced. I thought it ruined the look of the cars, but I think that uh, you know my my opinion on that was flipped around. You know, no pun intended. Really quickly, especially when uh, Fernando went over the top of uh, Charles Leclerc's uh, Alpha Romeo at Spa that year, when uh, Nico Hulkenberg uh, drove up the 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 back of him, right? So, you know, it, um, yeah. For for me, I mean, I was excited to go there. I was excited to see all the all the videos and all the in car cameras and all the simulations. But the, the the race itself was difficult to watch. I mean, all the controversy on top of it just made it more difficult. I mean, the 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 feedback from lots of people in this community was was negative and it hasn't uh, softened every much or very much. I mean, Steve Williams in the live chat uh, on YouTube says, I still have a sour taste after the race. All the events after the race were washed over by the uh, over by the race. Apparently there was an amazing drone show on a podium. I've erased the race from my memory, so I think, yeah, you know, and, and it was difficult. I mean, uh, I've I've gone back and I, I rewatched a, a lot of the uh, the moments between Lewis and Max. I, mean, I just at least for clarity, okay, this happened then, and then this happened, and that 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 happened, and I looked at that, uh, you know, that that incident when Lewis drove up the back of Max, and you know, I, I'm still just not surprised. I'm a little bit surprised that um, that red having like dragged Alex Albon out of the uh the, you know out of the cobwebs there and thrown him out under the tractor right re-simulate that crash like they did after after Silverstone which was uh, you know a little bit uh strange to say the least but yeah I, I agree with uh, Steve I mean it, I I have a sour taste in my mouth I think that had a lot of potential but when we saw it in action and it, I mean it's let's put it this way. We're not fans of Nikita uh, Nikita Mazepin on this show, but if I'm apologizing for Nikita's moment driving up the back of George Russell's Williams, and I'm saying that wasn't Nikita's fault, you know, cut the guy some slack, then you know something's up because we're not the kind of guys that are going to cut Nikita Mazepin's (laughs) much slack in any situation.
0: And let's be very, very clear here for everybody listening at home. We're not criticizing the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. We're not criticizing Saudis. We're not criticizing anyone except the track layout itself. And and I I just think we need to be clear that that's a conversation we can have. But then again, I don't know that we're going to be here long-term anyways. Next year, for sure, we're going to be back there in three months, which is the crazy thing. We're going to be back there in I think 114 days, maybe, or 107 days, something like that will probably be there in 2023 as well, but we may never be there again. But in the meantime, I, just, I don't see anything changing based on what people are saying that's gonna produce a race that's gonna be dramatically different than we just saw. Maybe the drivers will be a little bit more familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll get a little bit more time in the simulator, but ultimately I would expect to see the same thing, which is drivers are gonna go into the walls. We're gonna see a lot of safety cars. We're gonna see restarts. And one of the quotes that really stuck with me was this one from Carlos Sainz Jr and i quote there's basically no space to go to avoid an accident no visibility and nikita couldn't avoid a crash in front of him which is what we've been saying since we arrived here on thursday so there's some things to learn analyze and see for march if we can make everything a bit easier so they got a hundred days to spend in the sim because it sounds like that's really all they're about to do
1: yeah, and let, let's be fair. I mean, there, there is only so much they can they they can do, but certainly I hope they get it sorted out in the the, the next three and a bit months because I, I think the track has a potential, and even if it is a, only a temporary venue, it you know just from a safety standpoint, it has to be better. And I think that if they they do straighten out some of these kinks, I mean, we, we've seen so many tracks re-profiled over the course of the year. I mean, we're going to see that at Yas this um, this weekend. I mean the. Like the, the 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 new track out and uh, track layout at uh, Yas Marina, I'm really looking forward to seeing them uh, get out there. But I mean, that is a purpose built racetrack compared to a temporary road circuit like uh, we saw at uh, Jeddah. So it uh, you know it it is a little bit apples and oranges from that respect.
0: You make a really great point, and I don't think this is what you meant. But when you say straighten out the kinks, I think a lot of what they could do is really just turns 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, mm-hmm. just to make that one long straight. Because they're going, f- to, to Esteban Ocon's point, because he made this comment, his point is, look, we're going flat out there anyways, just straighten it out, improve the visibility, it makes it safer for everybody. And I think even if they just did that, it would go a long way to producing a less hectic, less chaotic Grand Prix, and it would make for a more fluid weekend.
1: Yeah, totally. Well, I think we can uh, maybe uh, wrap this one. We're going to come back and talk about like the uh, Lewis and Max because there are other comments about that. Uh, but uh, let's take a, a little bit of a break here. We'll come back. We'll pick it up on the other side. We've got some more news and then eventually we'll get into this whole, we'll, 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 we'll rekindle the whole Lewis and Max and the bumper car discussion. And We'll do so in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back after this very short break to hear from our sponsors. Learn more at marines.com. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And this one, I mean, this, 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 news story popped up out of nowhere and it's disappeared really really quickly and I think rightly so and uh, this is a this uh, sponsorship uh, deal between uh, Mercedes and this uh, Irish insulation company Kingspan Uh, they either were were the ones that uh, some of their material or quite a bit of it uh, was um, in that Grenfell Tower disaster in London back in 2017 Uh, they announced last week that they had uh, come to a deal with uh, Mercedes and um, it just created a a firestorm and drew a lot of uh, criticism uh, right away Lewis didn't really have too much uh, to say about it. Uh, Toto was kind of coy about it, but they've actually uh, announced uh, as of today, Wednesday, December 8th, that uh, they're going to um, end their sponsorship deal effective uh, uh, immediately. And that is is just stunning. I mean, but the whole incident is just bizarre. I mean, a little bit of background was... um, their insulation was in this uh, tower, there was a big fire there, 72 people tragically lost their lives. And there's an ongoing public inquiry about that. But, um, you know, it's, you know, I I just find it bizarre almost that that a team that is so conscious about their image in mercedes I, i'm surprised, surprised that this one passed um you know past muster i mean you would have thought that there would have been more vetting done on this and i i don't know in what worlds that this you know made sense to them i find this just um, mind-boggling i completely
0: agree and i think you've summarized all of that that perfectly. It was just a complete lack of of self-awareness. And obviously this is a very, very sensitive issue in that country as the probe continues. And rightly so. Absolutely. And this exploded on the front page of of all of the newspapers. In fact, the British government, the UK government minister, Michael Gove, also wrote a letter to Wolf, and I'm I'm reading here from motorsport.com. UK government minister, Michael Gove, wrote an open letter to Wolf, urging him to reconsider the deal and warning that the British government could change advertising rules for motorsport. Such was its anger, the government, At the situation. So I'm glad this one disappeared. One thing that I would add that I felt was a little bit appalling. And when this story first surfaced in my news feeds, it was was one of those stories in the British tabloids that was very, very much targeted towards Lewis. And it was tied up as if it was a Lewis sponsorship or that Mm -hmm. Lewis had brokered the deal. And I just, you know what, tabloids, that's really an inappropriate angle to take here. I doubt Lewis had any understanding or knowledge that this deal was even happening so don't hang this deal around lewis's neck as if this was a personal a personal sponsorship deal on the side this was a deal between mercedes amg formula one and kingspan and unfortunately it wasn't appropriate they both walked away from the deal appropriately Mm -hmm. so but only after an outburst of fury within the government and within the public in the uk
1: yeah, I I'm, don't quote me a hundred percent on this, but I think Lewis. The only thing he might have said was that the one sponsor that he brought to to Mercedes was the the, the whole Tommy Hilfiger thing, which obviously he's very involved with, right? But I think that's the only thing that uh, I, I think he wisely decided to, to to stay out of it. I mean, he's been obviously more vocal over the last year or two on social issues, especially within Formula One, and you know he's been rocking the the, the rainbow lid at the last couple of um, races, which you know I think is great as well, but. I I, I was really, like, I I posited that on the show last week, whether or not Lewis might, uh, you know, stand up and say something. But apart from a couple of things, I I think it was probably wise of him not to say too much. I mean, just considering, you know, just what, you you know, how... You know, like you say, the fury at this one, I think it was better that he just kind of kept it to to a minimum. If he he just clarified, okay, these are the sponsors or the sponsor that I brought to to the table so far, then, you know, this this is nothing to do with me.
0: Can I just add as well about that rainbow-colored helmet? Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. One, it is a beautiful helmet just as a piece of art, and I am absolutely over the moon about being able to buy a half-scale version of that, but I was also... I was almost brought to tears by the fact that he rocked it in Qatar and that he also rocked it in in Saudi Arabia. You you talk about making a statement and opening a line of conversation, and I know this isn't where we're going and we've got a whole bunch of other news stories, but to me, that is absolutely a perfect reflection of the impact that he brings to the sport, that as this transcendent star, he can make a statement and start a dialogue and start Mm -hmm. a conversation in a way that a lot of people wouldn't. But the helmet looked great, and, and kudos to him for for making a an incredibly valuable statement in that part of the world
1: you know I also I I think we have to give some um, props to Sebastian Vettel for setting up that karting event with some of the local women karting drivers because I I think uh, Seb you know maybe he's getting wiser wiser in his old age but uh, I, I think he said you know it's one thing to criticize and to say things he said but you know you know, I, I don't really know a lot about this country. I don't really know about a, a lot about this uh, culture. So I, I don't, you know, I, I can speak to issues, but you know, what better way to do so than to find out from the mouths of the people that are there, that, that, that experience it each and every day. So he can get some perspective and context on it. And, you know, and at, at the same time, I think, you know, it was, it was a great thing to do and, uh, you know, sponsor and, and host an event like that, at that, uh, you know, closed event at that karting track.
0: I think one of the things that – and so, one, I agree with everything that you're saying, and I like the fact that he's so – And this isn't the first time this year that he's made a really grassroots effort to to become a part of the community and better Mm -hmm. understand different parts of the world. But one of the things that I, I do know about the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and a lot of the GCC countries is the youth in particular are incredibly bright. They're incredibly educated, and they're incredibly vibrant. And I was excited to see the reception that all of these drivers did get there, including Lewis Hamilton and Lewis Hamilton's reception when he was on the podium and when he was doing the post-race interviews were incredibly, incredibly exciting. So it's it's incredible that he can go into a country like this. And I think a lot of us see some of these countries in this region, some of these GCC countries as being really, really conservative, but obviously they're evolving and and maybe not as quickly, I think, as some analysts and critics outside of that region would wish them to. But I think it was really cool to see Lewis go in and make a statement like that in that country and still be overwhelmingly received warning which was very cool to see. And to your point as well, Sebastian Vettel, knowing that, hey, you know what? I'm probably on the wrong side of Thursday. Thur- I was going to say Thursday. is um, <laughs> you know, on, on the wrong side, side, of-
1: side of Thursday, except for Monday. And oh, everything between man. Thursday and Monday is the best part of the week. Knowing that he's on opinion. the
0: wrong side of Thursday. 30, 30, 30. I'm (laughs) going to get it out,
1: is on the wrong side of
0: 30, (laughs) continues to leverage his platform in really meaningful ways. And I was so happy to see him uh, collaborate and work with some of those incredibly talented uh, young Saudi women in the karting space.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Uh, let's move on to the next story. So Guan Yu Zhou, uh, who's going to be driving alongside Valtteri Bottas with, at Alfa Romeo next year has announced that he's going to be using the number 24 first Formula One driver since Timo Glock in 20, uh, 2012 to uh enter a car with number 24. Another one is uh, Ferrari's dumping the Mission Win Now uh, sponsorship. They're instead of being Scuderia Ferrari Mission Win Now, they are just going to be Scuderia Ferrari nice and clean historic. I love it. And the whole Mission Win Now thing, I mean, I mean it was pretty obvious that that was just a veiled and half-hearted attempt to sort of mask like the tobacco sponsorship which you know disappeared from formula one a long, long time ago, but I mean, even for before it went to like the wish mission win now thing, I mean, there was the, the whole kind of like, you know, it, it, it's not quite, but it's still pretty obvious that it is, you know, tobacco sponsorship on the car and, and things like that. But yeah, so it is,
0: it is still very unsettling that tobacco companies still have their tentacles and their hooks in the Mm. sport specifically with Ferrari and, McLaren as well. So to be clear here, because I did a little bit of research on this one, and you you framed it up perfectly, Mission Winnow is basically a veiled attempt for big tobacco to keep their tentacles and their hooks in Formula One. And Mission Winnow seems to be, nobody really understands, but it seems to be a veiled attempt to promote... E cigarettes. So big tobacco probably <clears throat> knows that its days are over. So it's finding yep. ways to stay relevant. So I was deeply uncomfortable when Mission Winnow paired up with Ferrari and with Ducati and MotoGP a couple of years ago. So what we know, and Ferrari had announced this, not Ferrari, I guess Philip Morris International, the conglomerate that owns the Mission Winnow brand, they had announced earlier this year that they were going to abandon Mission Winnow for their MotoGP and Formula One entry. What's not clear yet is whether PMI, Philip Morris International, is going to continue with its sponsorship of Ferrari or not. If they do, it's going to be really interesting to see what logo they can stick on the car because they can't put PMI, Mm -hmm. they can't put any of their cigarette brands because of uh, national regulation in most progressive Western country. So they can't do that. So it's going to be interesting if they stay. Now, in the past, pre-cost cap, and this is where it gets kind of interesting, pre-cost cap, this is a deal that was really important to Scuderia Ferrari because PMI, these tobacco companies brought a ton of cash. And if you're for Ferrari and you're spending three or four or $500 million a year, $300 million in operating the team and developing the cars, $200 million in logistics, whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be, if you're spending upwards of half a billion dollars a year, you kind of need that tobacco money if they're offering it to you. The good news now is that when we go into this realm of a cost cap, you know what? Having these big, ugly tobacco sponsors funding much of your operations isn't as relevant as it once was yep. because all of a sudden, hey, we're not allowed to spend $300 million. We can only spend 140 or 135 or $130 million on the team. Ultimately, we don't need your money, big, bad, Mr. Tobacco. You can go to beep so maybe pmi (laughs) goes and i hope they do but unfortunately they've been synonymous with the ferrari brand in formula one for many 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 decades i'm i'm afraid they're going to find a way to stick around but i'll be curious to see how especially if they're abandoning their mission winnow statement
1: just have to to wonder whatever happened to the marlboro man and like joe camel are they still okay or are they just maybe convalescing and living out their days uh (laughs) maybe not the the best state of health Okay. So this is an interesting story coming up next. And this is something that we've uh, talked about and we'll just um, start this conversation now. Well, let's take it through and then we'll break after this one. But FAA president, uh, Jean Tote said that uh, electric racing or an all electric future for Formula One is uh, simply not possible. And it's something that maybe 20, 30 years down the road might be uh, feasible. But uh, I mean, his, his exact words is at the moment, it would not be possible. And uh, you know that 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 makes a lot of sense. I mean, number one, I mean, most uh, Formula One races are about 200 miles, just over 300 kilometers. And you know, without you know, how can you make an e car put out the same kind of performance that we're seeing with uh, with Formula One and uh, be able to uh, run uh, that sort of length? It just uh, wouldn't. Uh, it's just not on the books at this point. I mean, I'm not turning my nose up at that. I mean, we've had this uh, discussion. And I think our consensus is, uh, you know, between the two of us, that they're just going to kick this uh, formula down the road uh, as long as possible. Maybe tweak the engine here and there, you know, experiment with the, um, you know, with the biofuels and stuff like that until the electric technology reaches a similar state, you know, or a similar level of performance like we're we're used to in Formula One.
0: Yeah, the other thing to consider too is. Formula E currently has an exclusivity agreement with the FIA and can be the only all electric sanctioned open wheel racing series so even if for, even if Formula 1 wanted to go all electric it would it would require quite a bit of legal wrangling to make that happen I don't like these comments because I, I absolutely do see an all-electric future. And to your point, it's probably not five years or 10 years or 15 years ago It's or 15 years away. It's going to be an evolution and we're going mm-hmm. to see a move to synthetic fuels and e-fuels and fuels that offset by carbon capture, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to see more electrification. It's going to be a process. It's going to be a journey. But to say that we're never going to see electricity and elect- fully electrified cars in Formula One is probably not accurate. Obviously, I don't think we're there technology technologically. technologically today, but if you look at the state of electrical vehicles today versus even 2015, we are worlds, worlds ahead of where we were a half a decade ago. And if you imagine where we're going to be in 10 years, and the real driver now, of course, is that so many countries are regulating that by the year 2035 or by the year 2040, X number of passenger cars or all passenger cars sold in those territories will have to be fully electric. You know, the governments are pressing the OEMs to make that transition. I think it's just an inevitability. Now, obviously, Ross Braun, he's a big fan of e-fuels. He believes that there's always going to be a place for internal combustion engines. I think Jean-Todd is probably very much of the same mind. Mm -hmm. But I think at some point in our lives, whether it's 20 or 25 or 30 years, we're going to see fully electric Formula One cars because that's what consumers are going to demand. And if every single vehicle that's on a dealer lot is fully electric in 15 or 20 years, it's going to be very odd to watch Formula One if they're still rocking some sort of e fuel slash hybrid electrification or electrification system
1: yeah at some point i mean if they wait too long to transition they'll just be become like a dinosaur in formula yeah. right i mean they'll yeah, be completely yeah, that, that's irrelevant the um, yeah yeah a- exactly totally agree okay let's take another quick break when we come back uh, we're going to take a look now at the race ahead uh, this weekend so don't go away we'll be back in just a moment another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check All right, and welcome back to the show. So Mercedes thinks that uh, Red Bull's dominance at Yas Marina last year in 2020 is uh, it doesn't mean much basically in the in the battle uh, that's going to go down uh, this weekend. I mean, there was a lot of speculation at the time that uh, they'd really dialed it back and they were only really pushing the cars as um, you know as much as they really needed to because I mean there was nothing to to play for, there was nothing really to race for. At uh, you know, the, you know, one year ago uh, today, but I mean, a, a year really uh, changes uh, things, and it's completely uh, different. Anyways, Andrew Shovlin, Mercedes Trackside Engineering Director, uh, had the following to say: "Quote." Last year, Lewis had a few days uh, after uh, was a few days after a bout of COVID, and there's no way that he was performing at his best. It's not an easy thing to get over. Our analysis after the event, which we do every race, indicated that we just put uh, the setup in the wrong place. We had the development tires in there in practice, and we were focusing on those. Ironically, we'd won the championship, and we decided to try and understand the tires rather than focus on the race weekend. We ended up going to the race uh, unprepared with a car that wasn't well balanced, and I think ultimately. That's where it cost us to end quote. Yeah, so I mean, not a lot to really add there. I mean, um, we all knew that uh, they, they weren't performing at their very best, at their peak. Uh, you know, a year ago to Yas Marina. I mean, the one thing that is going to be different is the fact that this track is completely reprofiled, and it looks awesome. I'm, I'm you know, I, I think it's going to be, you know, really, really good. Really looking forward to see them get on the track there this weekend. So, I mean, I, I guess the question is now that, I mean, all the setup, all the data that they have for this track and for all the teams, I wouldn't say it's completely irrelevant, but I mean, it's not going to be as as, as helpful. So, I mean, they're going to be going into this one a prepare or a, a tad unprepared and figuring it out when they get to practice on, on Friday and uh, getting the car set up uh, correctly for qualifying and then ultimately for the race on Sunday.
0: That's a fair acknowledgement by Red Bull as well, that last year is largely irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. Obviously, the track is different. The circumstances are different. To your point, Lewis was coming off of a bout of COVID. It's remarkable that he was able to return so quickly. And I think under other circumstances, maybe he wouldn't have. But he did come back. He did finish in a podium position, as did Valtteri Bottas. But it was also widely speculated at the time that Mercedes had significantly turned down the engine in both of their Mercedes cars because they'd already locked up the Constructors' Championship at that point. One point I'll add real quick, because I just noticed this right now. Last year, Valtteri Bottas and Max Verstappen only finished nine points apart, despite the fact that Max Verstappen had five DNFs or five retirements last year, which is crazy. But yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm excited to talk about the reprofiled track because the one thing that I would add is this if the track was carrying over to 2021 unchanged, mm-hmm. I would argue that it would be a much, much more favorable footprint or layout for the red bull team i actually strongly believe and tim haraney on our spaces chat yesterday helped convince me of this but i'm now convinced that the changes to the track much more are much more beneficial to mercedes than i'm trying to choose my words carefully but are much more beneficial to mercedes than they are red bull
1: yeah, it really is interesting uh, to, to see who's going to really um, be, uh, benefit from the new uh, layout because I'm, I'm just pulling up the stats here as you were talking. So last year, the, the track length was 5.55 kilometers or 3.45 miles. There were 21 turns. Uh, the race lap record uh, was set in 2019 by Lewis. Uh, he said a 139.283. And the reprofiled circuit is now, it's only got 16 corners. So we're losing five corners. And we're also losing about a quarter mile of uh, race distance. We were going down from five, no, sorry, yeah, quarter kilometer. So uh, 5.55 kilometers down to 5.28. So we're going from 5.45 to 5. or sorry, 3.28 miles. So yeah, about a quarter mile more or less. And of course, uh, we don't have any idea of uh, where the 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 times are going to come out uh, just yet. So yeah, I, I mean, whether or not the, this is gonna be more beneficial to Mercedes or Red Bull, I mean, that that's that's a great question. I mean, if you look at the layout of the track, um, I, I think it's, uh, it's it's really cool because I mean, when you go through start finish in that uh, 90 degree turn at uh, turn one and those flowing corners fr- through turns three, uh, two, three and four, that's the same. But then where you had the chicane going into the hairpin down at that um, semi-circular grandstand and Ferrari world at the end. They've taken out that chicane there at uh, turns five and six. So you're going to get more of a straight shot down into that, uh, what's now not, well, I guess it's still a hairpin, but just a bigger one. So you're going to come out of uh, turn four, go straight down into that hairpin get that wonderful long straightaway in the back there, which is, uh, that's going to be unchanged. We go into that, there's about 120 degree left-hander into turns, uh, well, what's going to be turns six and seven. And then you're going to go around to the the back of the track where it used to be uh, turns 11, 12, 13, and 14, basically another series of a very sharp left-hander and then a flick to the right. Uh, and then again, uh, coming out of turn 14 in another 90 degree left-hand uh, corner. So that's all changed. That's going to be basically, it looks like a, a paperclip uh, shape. And then you're going to come back around it to turns uh, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. And uh, th- that's that's basically the same. It looks like they, they may have just... Um, Reprofiled a little bit uh, coming into turn 15, which is uh you know the second but last corner, and then turn 16, which that's uh, the same as you get back into start uh, start finish. So very cool. Uh, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to see where this is uh, going to to go and what kind of numbers we're going to see, and, and and ultimately, is it going to you know improve the racing on the track because it isn't always the most exciting race of the year. But I mean. Sometimes I think that just unfortunately has to do with where it lands on the calendar as well. I very much agree. I don't know if
0: you recall, but back in the summer, we actually had a really great listener question. And the question was, There's all these tracks, and there's a lot of criticism of the tracks. Why don't the race organizers improve the tracks? And I made a comment at the time that, look, logistically, it's difficult, and it's expensive, and you have to get through the FIA accreditation process. And then all of a sudden, mid-season, Yas Marina announces that they were making some pretty significant churns or changes. And and you did a really great job of summarizing them. They basically kill that ugly chicane (laughs) at turns five and six. It all flows into a nice, big, sweeping turn five. Ultimately, you look at turns 11, 12, 13, 14, they all get crushed. They get turned into what's going to be a moderately banked turn nine. Mm -hmm. But I think what I'm really excited to see is How does this track play out for the Red Bulls? And how does this track play out for the Mercedes cars? And we're probably not going to learn a ton from free practice one and two on Friday. I think we'll obviously learn a little bit more in free practice three and qualifying, but I want to get a sense of how these cars perform in the individual sectors. So when we were on the Spaces chat with Tim last night, he'd argued that, look, Mercedes should absolutely now dominate in Sector 1 and Sector 2. They're going to own it. But the opportunity for Red Bull in this track is that still fairly complex sector three and the reason why they should mm-hmm. be a little bit more successful in that sector versus sector one and two is look we all understand and appreciate that the top line speed of the Mercedes at this point seems to be incredible they've got some really great pace however yeah. their ability to generate significant and effective downforce in more technical turners seems to be a little bit more challenging and in theory that's where Red Bull has some strength so the expectation is like look ultimately Mercedes should outperform the Red Bull in sector one and sector two and the Red Bull should be able to make up some great ground in Sector 3, but will it be enough? Ultimately, it's really just going to come down to qualifying, and if Mercedes can qualify 1-2, whether it's Valtteri Lewis or Lewis Valtteri, it doesn't really matter, but that's what they're going to need, because Max is going to need to put some ground between them very, very quickly. But to me, I think this has become very much a Mercedes track. I think to go back to the original point that last year was irrelevant, it's absolutely irrelevant. It's a different track, yeah. different cars, and very, very different Circumstances.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, just uh, the, the the fact that the track is—I uh, mean, it's not like they just uh, you know put down some fresh asphalt and uh, away we go. I mean, the the, the changes that they're making can fundamentally change the 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 flow and the nature of this track. So, I mean, it's going to be really cool. One thing I also wanted to mention is that uh, the tire compounds that Pirelli are bringing this week are the C three, the C four, and the C five. So, the softest tire compounds that they have in their range. And um, it's setting up, obviously, for an epic, epic uh, weekend with everything uh, on the line. So, I mean, where do you want to talk about... uh, Well, actually, you know what...
0: One other quick point on that. Sure. So I think we've done a really good job of summarizing some of the changes that have been made to the track. One of the other things that did surface over the course of the last couple of days on social media is that in the process of reprofiling a number of corners at this track, the Yas Marina team have gone and installed curbs, those very, very aggressive, and I don't even know how to describe them, but they remind me of one of the characters from He-Man back in the 1980s, the purple guy with the spikes all over his chest. (laughs) Sorry, that was terrible. They've gone now and installed the exact same curves that were so problematic and so dangerous Mm. at Lucille. So if you look on Reddit, if you look on Twitter, there's photos of them. These are brand new, hyper-aggressive curves that are absolutely designed to unsettle the cars and discourage the drivers from testing the track limit so hey you're going to need to stay within the white line so not only do we have a new track in terms of the layout and the speed and the distance but they've also installed dramatically more aggressive curves. now one of the things and i can't substantiate this but i've read it in a number of places one of the things that's very interesting is that pirelli did not know about the curbs until they showed up at Yas with the tires this week. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that those tire decisions, those C3, C4, C5, the hard, the softest tires in the range, may not necessarily vibe well with these ultra aggressive Lucille style curbs that have been installed. So, you know, we should see some great racing. We should see some great top speed. We should see some excitement in those reprofiled corners, but there's absolutely going to be penalties to pay for drivers that test track this weekend.
1: Yeah, just to add to an added element uh, to everything that's uh, going on because I mean we we did see it at uh, at Qatar a couple of weeks ago just to how, you know, how those cars or those curbs can really ruin somebody's day and really damage your car. So I mean, you're, you're really, as you say, you're, you're going to have to keep it uh, between the the, the the white lines. So, hey, let's take a, a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about Lewis and Max and, uh, you know, the potential of things uh, that could happen uh, this weekend. So we'll do that in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be back in just a second. All right. Well, welcome back. And it is that time. We are going to talk about Lewis. We are going to talk about Max. I mean, obviously, all those incidents that we saw this past weekend in uh, Saudi Arabia, that hasn't gone away from from anybody's memory, and uh, nor should it. Uh, I mean, we saw Lewis uh, and Max fighting very, very hard. Max pushing track limits, having to give back uh, positions, and then Max apparently lifting on the straightaway, <clears throat> having Lewis uh, go right up uh, the 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 back of him. We saw Total Wolf melting down, literally in the pits, throwing his headsets, and emotions are are high. So, how do we want to tackle this one, sir?
0: For starters, because (laughs) you and I haven't had an opportunity to talk about this one, I'd love to get a sense from you of how you think these two drivers are going to approach the race weekend. So for me, I think there's a couple of takeaways here. One, we have two drivers that Mm -hmm. are arguably the two best in the sport. And this is always going to be a combative discussion because different drivers are provided with different equipment and different power units, et cetera, et cetera. But based on what we've seen this year, Lewis is leap head and shoulders above Valtteri in terms of performance week over week. And it's clear as day that Max Verstappen is head and shoulders above his teammate. So we could clearly make the argument that they're the two best drivers in the sport today. Now, that sure. said, we're also watching an ultra close competition, an ultra-close championship that we haven't seen really since 16, since 12, and a few of the years before that. It's very, very close. And it's pretty clear that neither of these drivers, although especially Max, are willing to give an edge. You know what? Lewis is willing to put his elbows out every now and then. Mm -hmm. Max is always willing to put his elbows out. But the one thing about Max this year is... I sense that he's willing to accept and absorb contact at times that Lewis isn't. Lewis's mentality oftentimes is very much that I want to preserve my opportunity to win a championship and I'm not going to throw it away through unnecessary contact. And for Max, his approach seems to be a little bit more in the sense that I'm willing to absorb. I'm willing to accept contact. Now, I think one of the things that absolutely has to happen this weekend is every Friday, Grand Prix weekend, there's a driver's meeting. After that driver's meeting, Michael Massey and the Stuarts need to take Lewis and they need to take Max Mm. and they need to put them in a room and they need to have a very, very, very clear conversation with them, which is here are your guide rail's For this weekend and this is how we are going to call this race there can be no surprises for either of them you sit them down and you spell out specific scenarios and you explain that this is how we are going to call the race because i don't want to lambast Max, in any given way, he is fighting for his dear life to win his first world championship. Lewis is fighting to become arguably the greatest of all time by hanging chip number eight. They are both fighting tooth and nail and doing virtually everything possible to win that championship within reason. But yep. that said, what none of us want and what none of us need is a championship that's decided by contact, because if there's contact in the DNF, we know that Max is going to win the title. Now, that said, if there's reason to believe that that contact was intentional, obviously the stewards, the race director, the FIA could penalize very much in the way that we saw in 97 with the DSQ that Michael Schumacher suffered. But what I think needs to happen this Friday is those two- Two drivers need to be pulled aside with the stewards and with Michael Massey that needs to be crystal clear to them that this is how we're going to call the race. Now, the problem this season, and it's a bigger Formula One problem, is we have different stewards almost every single race. And that's not good for the championship. So we can talk about this in the offseason. But I think what this season has shown is that Formula One, the FIA, they need to invest in full-time professional stewards we are talking about stewards that for all intents and purposes some race weekends are volunteers they're unpaid volunteers they do a couple of days in july every summer make sure they get their credentials you are now officiating a formula one grand prix f1 needs to do better everyone on the grid everyone in the paddock they are full-time professionals the stewards need to be as well now the challenge when you come out of jetta is You know, there was a lot of criticism about the way that race was called and Mm. did Michael Massey and the stewards let the race get away. Well, maybe, and a lot of that was circumstance and the layout of the track. And in isolation, I don't think that race was necessarily called poorly. The problem was that the calls they were making were in direct opposition or contradiction to race calls made in Brazil and made in Qatar and made in other races that season. There's this lack of consistency. So to me, the fix is you need full-time professional stewards. And maybe it's not the exact same stewards every race. Maybe you've got eight, 12, 16 that you rotate through the calendar, But they are full time paid professionals that are from a racing pedigree or a racing background. But for me, the key this weekend is you've got to get those two drivers into a room with the stewards and with Michael Massey, and you need to lay the ground rule and lay down guidelines so that if something happens during the race, it's crystal clear that this is how it's going to be called and that neither driver is going to be surprised.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be guys. We don't want to see happen what we saw happen in Saudi. We don't want to see what happened in Brazil. We don't want to see what happened at Monza. We don't want to see what happened at, uh, at Silverstone. And, you know, that's why, I mean, just talking about the whole um, Steward thing is, is that that's the, the comments from Andreas Seidel, the team principal in McLaren last week, that he, he doesn't think that they're there yet, that they don't need... These full-time, you know, very qualified people to to be, um, you know, the you know the basically their stewarding crew. He says that they, he he thinks it's not. I mean, I'm paraphrasing and parsing, but he he says he doesn't think that they're there yet as a sport. I'm like, well, maybe because you, you don't have a driver or a car in that championship battle, so maybe your your perspective is skewed a little bit. Because <laughs> I think the rest of us think it is absolutely necessary at this point. In time, but I mean, going back to the, the 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 three incidents of note between Max and Lewis, the first one when Max uh, went uh, wide and ran through the infield there, hundred percent. I mean, what was he thinking? He, he tried to break late. He tried to go around. He was never going to make that stick in a hundred years. So I mean, the only option he had was the one that he took. And then, so he ends up having to give that place back. The second time, Lewis uh, tried to push him uh, his way through. He got his elbows out. Max reacted. And then I, I think that one is more of a mental battle. I think uh, Ma- Lewis got inside of Max's head. He reacted the way that he wanted and he benefited from it. Then the third and final one uh, of note, and I mean, there was many, of course, was uh, Lewis driving up the backside of Max. And I still don't understand how the hell that even happened to, to begin with. I, I mean, Max says he didn't lift, but I mean, I mean, it, it sure seems like when you look at the the, the the replay that he was slowing for whatever reason and uh, Lewis is just flying around. I mean, he's probably getting a toe from Max and then... You know, that's uh, just crazy. I mean, there, there's other things to talk about. There's Lewis more than 10 car lengths behind. There was Valtre backing up uh, Max, uh, you know, the, with the, you know, the safety car and the double stack and all that. There, there, there was a lot of like uh, shenanigans going on all race long between those two teams and all their drivers involved. But I mean, just when, when you pick like the three most controversial incidents of a controversial day, those are the three that kind of stand out. And uh, I I mean, the thing is that that corner is sort of kind of similar ish in a well, I mean, it's a chicane more than like that turn four at uh, at uh, at Sao Paulo. But I think in that uh, position now, I think I think that Lewis totally owns Max's headspace when it comes to that. I mean, he, he I think that he he totally knows how to play that, and I think that uh, psychologically, that uh, if if Max is in front of him, he knows how to play it because he knows how Max is going to react, or maybe in in that you know more to the point, how he's going to overreact uh, in that situation. If we, <laughs> as we've seen now several times over the past couple several races now.
0: What was your reaction? So let me share my reaction when that contact happened. So I knew it had happened in advance of watching it because, like I said, I had to go back and revisit the race because it wasn't super, super well. My thought when I saw it happen originally was that, one, I thought Lewis maybe knew that that Max had been ordered to give back the position, and I thought, hey— maybe Lewis doesn't want to give up the position now because they're going to immediately enter a DRS activation zone and then Max is going to be able to retake the position and at the same time I think well maybe Max is breaking ultra hard because he recognizes that and he wants to give up the position as they enter a DRS zone so he'll be able to retake the position quickly but what of course I didn't realize at the time and I only discovered later as did all the viewers at home mm. Lewis didn't know what was going on so Max knew that he had to give up the position was why he stopped Lewis didn't necessarily know what was going on, so I don't think that could have played into Lewis's strategy. But when you saw that happen, obviously, as a viewer at home, you knew Max had been asked to give up the position. What was your reaction to the contact?
1: Oh, I I was shocked. I was speechless because, uh, I mean, the the, the way that I understood it, uh, talking to different people that um – that that had been communicated, had been compu- communicated to Max, and it was in the process of getting communicated to Lewis when it happened. So Max obviously doing what he needed to do to let Lewis, you know, to give back the position. But then, you know, Lewis flew right up uh, the, the the back of him, right? And so, I mean, it was interesting, too, because Martin Brundle commented at the time that he thought it was a misunderstanding between the two of them rather than Max doing something nefarious and, and brake testing, uh Break testing uh, Lewis, but that, that was just a, a strange situation. I mean it was um, it, it was just yeah, strange. <laughs> I mean that's the only way that, uh, that that I can really put it because nobody expected that to happen. We're very, very lucky that, and this is this sounds a little bit odd, but
0: we're lucky that the outcome was that Lewis won the race because yeah. imagine if he'd sustained more front wing damage and he had to pit and sure. maybe he finishes out of the top three, the top four, the top five. Maybe he ultimately loses the championship or Max puts a stranglehold on the championship. What's the conversation about that circumstance then? I'm, And again, I'm, I'm, I'm happy we didn't have to go down that path, but Lewis could very well have sustained more wing damage and had to have pitted and then what does the conversation look like after the race so fortunately he's able to recover and somehow mm-hmm. somehow bring home a race win despite having a significantly damaged uh end plate on his on his carbon fiber front wing but but yeah, what a crazy moment. What a crazy moment.
1: But you know, it's funny too, when both of the, the two guys that were involved in that incident say that they don't understand what was going on, then, you know, I, I mean, of course, the, you know, I think they're going to be kind of choosy. I mean, no, nobody's going to admit guilt, you know, speaking to the media, right? But I mean, take it at face value. Take it for what it's worth. When Max says he doesn't understand what happened, why Lewis drove up the backside of when Lewis says he doesn't understand why he went up the backside of Max then, I mean, it's just like, what, what do you do with that? I mean, because Do you, do you think there was Max shenanigans?
0: Do you think he was, you know what, I, I'm asked to get back to the position, I want to give it up now, I don't want to make it clear to Lewis. Do you think there was any Max shenanigans in that moment?
1: Well, it's interesting because when I was talking about it with Tim, his speculation was, and we didn't really get a chance to go and look at it uh, exactly, he thought that maybe one or perhaps both of them were trying to game the DRS line yeah. and try and time it so that, okay, Max lets Lewis by, but then, you know, he, uh, he takes advantage of, uh, you know, being within a second at the DRS line and right. then gets that, you know, gets the DRS and then maybe makes the 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 overtake before Lewis is able to, you know, build a lead of a couple of seconds and then build that buffer and then slowly start eking out a bigger lead, which is going to be more and more difficult. And I thought that was, uh, I, I, I think out of anything that I, I think there's, you know, a kernel of something there. I, I think that Tim's onto something. And it, it just—I mean, two guys of the caliber of driver like uh, Max Verstappen and, and Lewis Hamilton having what looked to be a very amateur accident. You know, I'm—I'm I'm not, and I'm not convinced that um, that, that that Max would brake test a uh, Lewis like that. I, I mean, don't. Think yeah, like so. you say, I mean, I he likes so. to get his elbows out. He's—he's—he's he's, he's willing to take some contact, but. I mean to stand on the brakes like that to get Lewis to drive up the back. Be- yeah, I mean if it was Michael Schumacher, sure. Yeah, then I, sure. I think. Yeah, sure. I mean that I I would. Uh, I mean based on his history, um, if he was in that situation, then I, yeah, I'd be for sure. Yeah, there, there's 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 something malicious going on here. But I, I'm not there with Max for staffing yet. Not not by a long shot.
0: I agree very, very much that maybe there's a little bit of confusion, but I feel very much the same that the two. I like that term as well as trying to trying to uh, game the DRS activation line and just trying to make sure that each of them were mm-hmm. in the best possible position because if I max I want to give it up in such a moment that I can immediately retake the position going into a DRS zone and Lewis is, hey I don't want to take that position now knowing that I'm going to be uh eaten alive by max yeah. because he's going to have DRS right away and I think that's probably what it was I also think it could just be straight up confusion that Lewis didn't know what was going on and was kind of surprised and taken aback by the fact that max was suddenly slowing down so so aggressively so I think it was was a little bit of confusion it was just bad circumstances and then in Mm -hmm. the light of everything else that had happened during that race it just kind of compounded the confusion and the chaos of the grand prix and like i said i think we're lucky that one lewis was able to complete the race despite the damage i think we're also lucky as well that hey Mm -hmm. max didn't get a puncture from the carbon fiber that splintered off of the end plate from lewis hamilton's (laughs) wing that the outcome could have been very very different and ultimately i don't think that moment impacted the outcome of the race but it very could very much could have impacted the outcome of the race and the championship so having said all of that what are you expecting from the two of them going into to sunday i can't i can't imagine that now all of a sudden the two of them are going to collectively simultaneously change their race craft and change their approach to a race weekend but what are you expecting to see? Do you expect to see hard racing out of both of them? Is Max still going to be willing to take contact? And I've seen all of this nonsense online that, hey, look, Mm -hmm. you know what? Max is, it's not beyond Max that he could intentionally create contact, that he knows that even if he DNFs and Lewis doesn't finish in the points, he wins the championship. I don't believe that Max would do that for a second. I think that's nonsense, but do you think they change their approach to this race unless there's intervention from the stewards in the FIA and Michael Massey in advance, or do they go in and they approach this race like the last couple where it's really, Hey, let's, let's take some contact and let's race hard.
1: You know, I, I think they have to change the the way that they approach this race because I mean, winner takes all, right? I mean, whoever finishes in front of the other guy is going to win the championship because uh, that, that that's all it's going to take now. And I think because Lewis has been living rent free in Max's head for a little uh, little uh, you know a period of time here for the past uh, couple of races, I think that if uh, Lewis ends up behind Max, I think that he's going to try everything in his bag of psychological warfare tricks to push Max into uh, some sort of situation where he overreacts and, and, and forces him into an error, you know, whether or not that results into contact, I guess, uh, depends on how Max reacts. But I I think that, that Lewis, you know, should he be in front or behind Max is going to do everything he can to push Max into an error. And I mean, if he's in front of Max, I I think he's going to do as much as he can to, um, you know, extend the lead in in, in front of him and, and build up a gap uh, to him. Uh, Because uh, we, we all know how good that, um, I, I'm not sure how the undercut might uh, play or the overcut might play either way at uh, at the reprofiled Yas. but whatever the wherever that advantage is you got to think that, uh, that 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 Red Bull will get that figured out because I mean th- their strategy and their tactics always are on point and uh, Mercedes I mean they're, they're not bulletproof anymore I think that they've shown some signs of weakness when it's come down to uh, pit stops and to uh, strategy and tactics at certain times at certain tracks so the thing is that the Red Bull Uh, guys, they seem to have it figured out each and every race. So Lewis, I think um, he'll be, I mean, they both will be going through all the different combinations in their head, but I think that if Lewis has that opportunity to um, you know I mean it's gonna to be tough for either one of these guys to beat their opponent one-on-one on the track so I think that if Lewis can enlist Max as an unwitting ally and defeat himself somehow psychologically I think Lewis is smart enough to be able to do that and I think he'll be looking for that opportunity and then if uh, he's in front of Max like I say I think he'll do everything to stay in front and you know he'll be on the the, the radio to Bono saying you know watch out for the overcut watch for the undercut whatever it is because you know he's going to be thinking about that because Red Bull is just too good at at figuring these things out and often to their advantage, right?
0: Yeah, completely. My My thought is you're very, very, very much right in the sense that if – If Lewis is behind Max early in the race, I don't expect him to make an unpredictable, dangerous, risky lunge in a corner to try to take that position. He's not going to throw away the championship. He's not going to throw away the race, especially knowing that a double DNF will result in a Max championship. But I think he could goad and pressure and pressure and pressure Max into making a mistake or just waiting for an opportunity to have a clean pass. I think the difference is Max... Max's approach this year seems to be a little bit different in that mm-hmm. if he thinks there's even a semblance of light in that corner, he's going to lunge and he's going to risk that contact. And I think the, that that. The, perhaps the worst possible outcome in this race is that we see contact that maybe doesn't immediately result in a double DNF, but that there could be contact that has a meaningful impact on the outcome of the race and as a knock-on effect, a downstream effect, a meaningful impact on the championship. But I think that would be the strategy that we would see that if Max is in front, Lewis is going to push, 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 goad, 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 look for him to make a mistake, and only in the later stages of the race look to push past him if it's not clear and not obvious. I think Max, on the other hand, he's going to be looking to make that pass right away because Mm -hmm. he can't afford for that Mercedes to get in front of him. Because if if Lewis has clean air, especially given what we expect of Sector 1 and 2, I think Lewis could put two or three or four seconds between the two of them in the first couple of laps, and Max can't afford that. So I would expect that if Lewis is leading in corner one, two, three, four, five, and Max is close, especially at corner one, especially at corner five, I would expect that Max could make one of those risky lunges because he knows, look, I can't afford to let Lewis get ahead in that clean air on a track that two of the three sectors absolutely favors Mercedes.
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting, too, just to, uh, looking at the notes here that um, just when it comes down to this battle between uh, Lewis and Max is that Christian Horner f- thinks that th- they will win the championship uh, this weekend because they have the better car and the better driver. And I mean, sure, you know, I'm all for sticking with your driver and sticking with your car and pumping it up and everything like that. But I mean, you know, Max, better driver than Lewis based, based on what criteria, right? I mean, I'm not going to you know, take anything away from Max. I mean, we know how good of a driver he is, but I mean, Lewis has got seven chips to his credit. So, so where are we going? You know, what, what criteria is Christian basing those comments are? Can I just,
0: I want to add something to that as well, because I think this is a a good segue on the the chat with Tim yesterday, Kate from Toronto had asked a really good question, which was in the conversation of the championship, Max is constantly, constantly framed or constantly referenced as an all time great. And I could actually point to multiple stories and publications, including a couple on f1.com that have indicated that as well. That Max is an all-time great. He's an all-time great. He may well become an all-time great. He has won nothing. He's won a bunch of Grand Prix. He's a phenomenal driver. He's an aggressive driver. He has won nothing. Lewis has won seven World Drivers' Championships, and he's on the verge, potentially, of winning number eight. So I think these comments are nice and obviously you've got to be in the corner of your driver. But I think some acknowledgement is due that you're not going up against Jensen Button in 2009 or 10 or 11. You're not going up against Fernando Alonso in 2007. This is a little bit different when you're talking about a driver that's been in the sport for 13, 14 years Mm -hmm. and has won seven world championships. A little bit of respect is probably due. And I'm speaking both to Christian Horner and I'm speaking to the media at large.
1: Yeah, I I mean, you know, I'm not going to take away anything from Max because I still think that, you know, regardless what happens this weekend or not, I mean, he is a, a world championship caliber driver. I mean, he is obviously one of the best and for me, uh, over the past couple of years, I mean, go back into the archives on this show and and, and dig it up. I mean, I, I've said it many, many, many times. I think that Max Verstappen is a world champion in, in waiting. I mean, he just needs the car. I mean, he's got you know very good car this year and ultimately that will be decided this weekend if this is his year or not. I mean, but based on the, those comments that he's one of the best ever, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, obviously when it, not, it doesn't come down to championships because, you know, like you said, Lewis has got seven, he's got none. So, I mean, he can't be that, but, I mean, do you then start, like, uh, comparing him to, like, Sterling Moss? I mean, he's you know, arguably the greatest Formula One driver to never win a world championship. Good point. You Good know, point. As Sir Sterling, uh, sadly, passing away the, just in the past uh, year. But, I mean, um, so, I, I mean, there's that, that conversation to, to be had. But, you know, I, I think if uh, you were Max, you might be getting a little bit kind of ticked off, uh, you know, if people are com- you know comparing you to Sterling Moss. I mean, maybe from a talent point of view, but... You know, like, uh, I'm the greatest driver never to win a championship. Hello, I'm only 24 here. You know, maybe we should, uh, you know, shelve this conversation for a decade or so. And then then let's see where where everything lands and then revisit this one. But yeah, I I don't know if I'm willing to go that uh, he's one of the greatest of all time yet. I mean... Yeah, it's just it's way too soon for that conversation. I mean, I'm going to go as far as a you know, one of the best drivers of this class, this era, the, this generation of drivers. Obviously, sure. I mean, sure. top two. Obviously, when when you have uh, you know driver of Lewis's caliber and Max's caliber, I mean, who else are you really going to stack up against them? I mean, there there's some some guys you know that are are trying to make their their names known and and trying to make an impact. But I mean, over the past uh, several years, I mean, it, it'll just be the conversation will be Lewis. And Max, right? And uh, ultimately, we'll have to compare them maybe head to head. I mean, again, I guess it depends on your criteria. If it's going to be championships, and we've got to wait till both of them are done. If it comes down to, to race wins and other stats like that, we've got to wait till their careers are done. If it's down to. You know something a little less tangible than you know it it's just driving skill, raw driving skill and talent. then w- what's your criteria? How do you evaluate that? You know so that 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 that's my question, you know is is how do you really quantify you know like goat status? how do how do you you know how how do you award that to to anyone?
0: One of the things we should do in the off-season, one of our listeners had recommended this last summer is we really should do an episode in the off-season, which is just us sharing our Formula One Mount Rushmores. LeBron James made this thing at NBA, kind of fun thing a couple of years ago, but we really should come up with our our, our Formula One Mount Rushmores. And I think obviously, Michael Schumacher's up there, Lewis is up there. But after that, where do you go? There's so many different threads you can pull on to steal a to steal a term that you like to use, but yeah. we should do one of those shows. We'll bring on a guest during the off-season and we will do our Formula 1 Mount Rushmore. And Maybe we'll make it interactive and we'll post something on Twitter to get the feedback and input from all of our listeners as well to get a sense of what the community believes the Formula 1 Mount Rushmore is. But I think just going back to the Grand Prix, I think We've got what we all wanted, right? Which was coming into this championship after Mercedes domination in 14 and 15 and 16 and 17 and 18 and 19 and 20 in the anomaly that was the 2020 shortened COVID season. All we wanted was a more competitive championship. And here we are going into the 21st race of the season. We're going into the finale and neither the constructors nor the driver's championship have been finalized. Neither are in stone yet. So we've got everything that we've wanted. The only thing and this might be asking a lot of the Formula 1 gods, but the only thing I can ask at this point is that we have a good race, a clean race, and both of the drivers that are contending for that championship finish the race unscathed. I know that might be asking a lot, but mm-hmm. if we can get that, then we can put a bow on this season and we can sit back and relish it as one of the all-time greats. I just I hope we don't end up with a compromised race because that compromises the championship. What your thoughts.
1: It, yeah, I, I don't want to see a, a finale just like a 97 between JV and Schumacher. I don't want to see a repeat of 94 between Schumacher and Great Damon call. Hill. I just want to see, you know, whoever wins, I want to see it clean, you know, because as much as I'm kind of done with watching Lewis and Mercedes dominate, uh, Formula One and win championship after championship, you know, if Max wins it, I want him to win it cleanly. He's got to Me earn too. it. And, Me too. you know, I mean, as much as I love Schumacher, I mean, there are some massive blemishes on his, uh, on his, uh, on his career. And, you know, that tarnishes his legacy, parking his car at Raskas at, uh, qualifying Monaco one year is a huge blemish, trying to knock JV out of the Portuguese Grand Prix in 97, which was oddly voted by Formula One or or promoted by Formula One as one of the what was it the most exciting season finale ever? Well, yeah, I mean when one of the two ch- championship uh, you know contenders was then disqualified from the season, you know after the fact. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean uh, the the thing is that and and like I say, I'm I'm not going as you know there just yet. That Max is a dirty driver. I, I'm going very much with like you. He's going to get his elbows out. He's not afraid to get dirty and uh, and defend at all costs. But again, it's just like where do you draw that line? So I I just wanted to be a clean race. I wanted to be an exciting race and then just let the chips fall where they may. If it's max, so be it. I mean, if it's Lewis, so be it. Whoever wins will have deserved it because these guys between the two of them have Won a hell of a lot of races between them. They've raced hard. And regardless if um, it's an uncontested championship that we've seen over time where one team and one car, one driver dominates, we still have to do it over the course of a season. I guess that the championship m- might be sweeter in the circumstances and how you win it. So, regardless if it's Lewis, regardless if it's Max, somebody's going to be celebrating hard come Sunday night. Definitely. Yeah.
0: Do you dare. And I know we've got to be wrapping up and turning off the lights and turning off the air conditioning before <laughs> we pack it up for the night. But do you dare have a prediction? Because I didn't want to be behind the eight ball on this one, and I didn't want to be get caught off guard, if you ask me. But
1: oh God, dare, it's, it's you, dare you make a prediction? It, you know, as the season's gone on, I've just found it more and more difficult, especially going to some of these tracks that we've... We either haven't seen before, and then Yas being completely reprofiled, and you know it's 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 too difficult. I I think that you made a really great call that sectors one and two will probably be uh, you know favor Mercedes. Sector three will probably favor Red Bull. And I, I think it's it's going to completely going to come down. Who, who's going to nail it when it comes to to, to tracks or car setup? And uh, yeah, I I don't know. I I just get the gut feeling that that, that Lewis is going to win it. I I don't know why. I mean, maybe just because we've become used to him uh, winning each and every year. Um, but you know, Max is a good shot to win it. But you know, my heart says Lewis is going to sneak it out in the end. I, I've I've just had that vibe for the last week or two.
0: Yeah. My my sense is Mercedes is gonna win the constructors, obviously. Yeah, I just I yeah. don't I, I think there's just too much ground between them at this point. It would be very points, difficult. Yeah. yeah, it would just be too difficult with a single race left for for Red Bull to to climb that hill. My my sense is that if if Mercedes can qualify well, if they qualify one, two, even if it's Valtteri Lewis, you know that uh, Valtteri is going to give up that position, and he's going to he's going to run interference for Lewis. Get, sure, let Lewis have some clean air, put some gap between him and the field. It's over. If if. If Max can qualify well and he qualifies on the front row and he qualifies in second place and he's Mm -hmm. able to pip Lewis at the first corner, who knows what can happen? But my sense is as well that especially if they qualify well, that this this is Mercedes to lose. They can simply... Yeah, I think there's a lot of momentum in their favor at this point. Now, that said, I wouldn't be surprised and I wouldn't be disappointed if Max won. I think that would be a great story for all those different reasons. But I feel like all of the momentum is in the favor of Mercedes and Lewis at this point. Yeah,
1: it it has been over the past uh, couple of races, you know, several races now, but yeah you know a, a bit of a twist on that theme is Sergio taking pole ahead of Lewis and Max in third and wouldn't that uh, kind of set up an interesting <laughs> dogfight right off of the bat there oh wow between the, uh, the the three of them so who knows right because you know that uh, that they're going to set up the Red Bull sandwich and then I guess that depends where, where Bottas uh, kind of comes and you, you know everybody else is going to do like uh, I guess it was Verstappen and Sebastian did back in 2016 when it was between Nico and Lewis and just to, you know even though Lewis was trying to back him into, or Nico into, um, Sebastian and, and Max at that race, uh, that uh, they, they were just, they were just trying to avoid this as, as much as they could. <laughs> and, uh, I think that everybody else is going to do the same thing if they're not driving a Mercedes or a Red Bull. Well, perhaps maybe with the exception of Alpha Tower who seemed to suspiciously, uh, y- you know, do things that favor Red Bull themselves. No. Without, uh, you know, no supposedly way. Being, being asked, you know, when, when getting text <laughs> messages from Christian Horner's burner phone that uh, you know, <laughs> he keeps taped to the underside of his, uh, you know, the, 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 the pit wall there. So who knows?
0: Oh, and the Alpha Tauri crew are looking at their phones and it's a text message from Mum. <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, from from yeah. mum or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You know? Oh gosh. Yeah, yeah. It's something you know, or the old, uh, you know, or from the uh, not Christian Horner Twitter account totally. where it's, a, you, totally. know, it's a, you know it's one of these of, yeah the egg where it's a picture yeah. of Christian with a with a, with, a, with a with a fake mustache <laughs> and a hat and sunglasses or something, but you still know who it is, anyways. Oh man, can you tell the we're ninety minutes into this podcast? Yeah, exactly. Hey, just before you go, what what do you think of that one off uh, livery that uh, McLaren's going to rock this weekend?
0: Yeah, I think it's really, really, really good. Uh, I am excited about this, and I'm actually glad you brought this up because we've seen a couple of really great liveries this year. McLaren yes. obviously had that phenomenal Gulf livery at Monaco. Oh,
1: that uh, was Alfa Romeo
0: rocked a really nice one at the Italian Grand Prix. They tossed in a little bit of green to make sure yep. they represented the flag. I absolutely loved the white Red Bull livery that we saw at the Turkish GP. Oh, then, that course, was
1: outstanding, yes.
0: Alpine had a nice one this past weekend. I like it. It's very, very cool. I like the fact that they're leaning into a UAA or UAE or UAE-based artist on the car. I think that's very, very cool. But I would love to see more of this throughout the campaign. And one of our listeners earlier this year had made this really great recommendation that was, hey, maybe at Monaco every year, every team should rep a retro livery. Like maybe Red Bull should show up wearing a Jaguar livery or something cool like that. Really like cool. I love that. But I like to see a spin on livery. The reason that i like that red bull one so much was that their liveries especially for the casual fan are almost indistinguishable year over year know, over right? year so i thought that was very cool but i like this one on the McLaren as well the McLaren, the mclaren <laughs> as well
1: yeah definitely i like it as well so I, i'd like to see that too but i mean that one they had in monaco uh, back at the beginning of the summer that was uh, i think the best one that we've seen um uh, all, all year long absolutely absolutely yeah well, sir, I, I think we're there. I think we've uh, we've basically run out of things uh, to to talk about. So great to see you back home. Glad to see you looking more like uh, yourself again. Glad that uh, that this uh, season is finally. Well, I'm not glad the season's going to be over, but I guess it's careful what you wish for. I mean, we from the beginning of the year we were always saying, well, maybe hopefully it'll last just a couple more races, and hopefully they can keep it competitive until the summer break. And it's uh, it's come down for better or worse. It's coming down to the ra- last race of the season, so let's uh, let's hope that uh, we get a good one. Anyways, uh, before we go, if you want to get in touch, by all means uh, do so. Send us a tweet at Scuderia F One Pod. Uh, if you want uh, to send us an email, uh, by all means uh, you can do that as well by sending uh, an email to at Scuderia uh, Pod. Uh, sorry, at, pod at gmail.com. at and that's it. That's a wrap. Uh, enjoy the race. Sorry, just one more thing. Did uh, want to get uh, some emails in uh, tonight. I was home late, so this is on me. But uh, we got a couple good ones we'll get to on the next show. So that's it. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the race. See you guys back here on Sunday night. And on behalf of myself and Mr. H, have a great weekend. Talk to you soon. Bye for now.